The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC on ESPN Plus 35 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man From a white oak tree People sitting on porches Thinking how things used to be Dark night It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find over at MMA Junkie, as well as LineMovement.com. But on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight. Recording this just a couple hours after weigh-in time on West Coast Pacific time, more specifically, Las Vegas time for UFC on Vegas 10, UFC on ESPN Plus 35, UFC Fight Night 177, UFC Fight Night... Waterson, newly minted main event, Waterson versus Hill. Uh, so as per usual on these breakdown shows, I don't blame you if you don't want to listen to my voice, especially the raspiness and the lacks of highs and craziness and all everything attached. You can always check the show notes that are attached down below if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for the five-star ratings and reviews. If you haven't already, go do that. Thank you. Or if you're listening to the audio version on my YouTube channel, thank you for subscribing there. Daniel, Tom, MMA, as for now. Rat mail. You can always check those show notes and uh, jump ahead. I'll timestamp when the breakdown starts. And if you are in even more of a rush or just really would rather not listen to me, uh, you can always skip to the very end where I always recap my picks and plays from top to bottom, which is the same order I break things down. So there is the outline. It's a very brief, brief recap on events because whether it's a recap or a preview, like for the Bellator main events, they will all be over at MMAJunkie.com as per usual. Um, with the switching up of the main event, actually did not do a main event right up on Hill versus Watterson. Um, per suggestion of uh, the old edited chief there, and I, I agreed with him. It's a pretty crazy week. I mean, it's four events pretty good that I'm covering if you consider the Contender Series, two Bellators, and uh, UFC already. Um, so... But either way, I still got to submit my picks for Junkie, which are up right now. And, um, you know, either way, I got to explain my picks, whether it's here on, on the Protect Your Neck podcast or the Line Movement MMA betting show, which is now on podcast form. Make sure you subscribe to the Line Movement podcast feed. You can also find the homie James Lynch and his Octagon Outlook show will also be on that feed, amongst others. Uh, and uh, don't forget as well, line movement. Uh, I'm, I'm not big on other sports because you know MMA takes over my life. Um, but for you golf heads, football, NBA, hockey, 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 uh, line movement's got a lot there. Uh, you know, from uh, gamblers to uh, ex-athletes like uh, like the real Kuiper over there. So um, go check that out uh, as my plug for line movement as well as my uh, plays, uh, the best ones and some of the outlines, of course. If you like the written form, go check that out. I've got that um, up and over there too. But yeah, there was uh, about three to four events this week. We had to start off by um, just acknowledging the Bellator date. We'll kind of work backwards, I guess. Um, well, 
Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, I'll just say the Dana White Contender Series, uh, grading the winners plug over at MMA Junkie as well every Wednesday. So thank you guys for checking that out there. Um, interesting stuff, man. Interesting stuff. Uh, I got, uh, got that dude who uh, knocked out Thick Willie. I'm, I'm, this is any excuse to bring up Thick Willie, really, is only the way, reason I'm just bringing that up. Um, <laughs> shout out to Brad Tashchuk for that one. And, uh, yeah, let's just recap out of the way. UFC and ESPN plus 34. We went 4-2-1 and one with an asterisk for, for picks. I know, that's crazy, right? Of course, because there was only seven fights official after the old COVID has been ravaging through. Um, kind of like I brought up with, shout out to Aaron Bronstetter, by the way, for many reasons. Uh, the TSN MMA show, always good, especially this week. Really good interviews that Aaron Bronstetter did. But uh, I always do the preview shows. He's gracious enough to have me over there on his Periscope channel. Uh, which you should check out every Saturday. And um, maybe not this Saturday, but a couple before, I did bring up, and I I felt like, you know, being the party pooper. Um, But for the sake of it, these fights being in my backyard, of all these return COVID people, and we'll talk about Kroom and others on this card and whatnot coming up, but... You know, uh, I was saying, you know, this could be really be dangerous. You know, what's what's those protocols like, you know, as far as responsibility? And, um, you know, uh, regardless of what you think of protocols, COVID, or any of that stuff, okay, fine, let's just say all that matters is sports and the product. Well, it's affecting the product, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's why these things are symbiotic, folks. It's not about, it's not always about sides. Um, some issues, in fact, are real, and they are symbiotic to the world we live in. So we saw the card knocked down to seven, and I put the asterisks on one because I didn't officially make a pick. Um, you know, did I throw a, a few bucks, literally a few bucks, on Ray Rodriguez just for shits and giggles? Yes, I did. But, man, did he get guillotined quickly? Of course, Kelleher was the deserved favorite, uh, and, and that was the most likely outcome, I suppose. But, um, yeah. Um, so that's why that was there, but we went, um, two, one and an asterisk on two and plays because my two official plays for the line movement side got canceled. However, hopefully you tailed, which you probably did. If you listen to this podcast, again, another bonus of, you know, being a completist, making sure you're visiting all the content, but most specifically joining your boy here for the in-depth unfettered, and uh, not that anybody really gets in the way of what I say anywhere, but else, to be honest. So it's all good, but you know what I'm saying. This is the lunatics run the asylum at the Protect Your Neck podcast. That is what I, I'm trying to say and have said before. Uh, Alistair Overeem, of course, defeated Augustus Sakai. Sprinkled on Sakai. Uh, I, I, I called myself out. Am I going to look stupid here? And sure enough, I did. Uh, that being said, in my defense, you know, Sakai did show uh, – you know, why he was live, and Overeem, man, he took shots much better than a lot of us, I think even his supporters would have imagined. Am I right? Um, so perhaps not that crazy, but wrong nonetheless, uh, which was fine. Like, I already made out really well, despite the cancellations, and by the time this fight happened, I wasn't even sweating it. So I was happy um, to see the Reem win, um, and, and so are other people, and rightfully so, although... I do get suspicious of certain characters who seem to, like, whenever I get a pick wrong, they're for some reason, like, being extra after-the-fact analyst person. And uh, I always find that funny. Um, but, yeah, I don't care, man. Like, I, I was happy for the meme. You guys know me. I'm not... You When you actually put your work out ahead of time to be judged, you know, you, you learn <laughs> not to get too high, not to get too low, and you just move on to the next. And, um... 
And if you know me, you know that I root against my picks half the time. So uh, I don't know if that was a shout-out to the uh, Phil McKenzie sadness hedge, but yeah, man, I was happy for the ream. Um, so good on him, although I don't know what that contender <laughs> Q looks like atop. Uh, Ovin St. Prue defeated Alonzo Menafield. Uh, Menafield, my KO punch. So hopefully you tailed on that. That was the original bet, which I still included, referenced, and linked in this betting sheet. But, um, uh, you know, so I, I just, uh, you know, so I can't take credit for it, but you know me, I'm just, I'm not a big victory lap guy. That's, I don't know. That's not my, that's not my thing, really. It's not how my ego is wired. Um, Michelle, hey, hey, nothing wrong if it is. I'm just saying it's not my style, but I did want to, do want to throw out and give myself a pat on the back, I guess. That's why I bring that up. God forbid, Dan, pat yourself on the back. Uh, Michelle Pajeda defeated Zalim Imadayev. Um, yeah, uh, I picked Pajeda there and, um, I just got scared off from the fight, ended up betting the over at minus 165. So I still got, and ended up with, uh, what do you call, uh, playable chalk. Um, but props if you played Pajeda, cause that was the right side and the entry point was low enough despite all the intangibles attached to both those guys in the Ricardo Mayorga fight of the night, as I, I like to say, the Ricardo, Ricardo Mayorga special. Uh, Andre Muniz defeated Bartosz Szabinski. That just seemed like a stupid line. And I did actually mention that one in the betting article as well, as far as a lean that I'm looking at. By the time that I wrote it, I wasn't able to complete my study maybe. I'm not sure why. Um, but uh, but I did wanted to mention it, and, and good thing I did. And, of course, if you listen to this podcast, you knew I was all over Muniz. And um, even from my last breakdown on him, as far as uh, telling you that it's not just a normal Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Um um, shout out to uh, my co-host there, Dan, on the Lamu MMA betting show. He was one of the only others over there on uh, half the battle that was uh, giving that dude his proper due. Um, but the, that one saved my butt. Fe- uh, Kelleher defeated Ray Rodriguez. Um, Viviana Araujo uh, defeated Montana De La Rosa. Uh, Montana's still getting better, I would say, but yeah. Uh, that one went the way it, it, I thought it would. Um, yeah, this is probably why it was. I wasn't super confident on it, albeit picking Smith. Um, but for what it's, it's worth, Smith did show got get to show his game in round three. Whereas Azure, that was kind of troublesome because he looked in. He's back down at thirty five, looked in good shape, and we're still seeing a drop off there in pace. So I don't know. Um, he isn't all shown that. There's some fights where he's like a honey badger the whole way. So I'm gonna look more into that. The, could be some fade planning there, but uh, other than that, man, you know, gotta appreciate the wrestle boxers. So that was that card, uh, and then yeah, we got a uh, Bellator. Uh, you know, it's like it's like all like super Jack favorite odds. So I don't really want to go into the matchups, um, even though oddly enough, I am interested into in matchups like Neiman Gracie versus John Fitch. Uh, not sure who opened the dog, but money coming in on Fitch to where they're both at minus money. Gracie goes to a dog, I'll sprinkle, but uh, John Fitch could ride again. It's going to come to the back day. John Fitch will give his, he'll give his back in order to turn in a guard and get his game going. Um, and uh, so let's see. Let's see if uh, Neiman Gracie can prove to be game over enough to prevent that. Um, but head, uh, I don't know, even know what card that's on, but um, let me see. 
I think that's on 46. 45, which is tonight, the night I'm recording it. Uh, Davis minus 325. Machida plus 295. Yeah, I ended up picking on Phil Davis, just to kind of repeat. It's kind of the same thing. You just say what you will and be frustrated that he should wrestle more because I'm really curious of what that guy would look like if he wanted to be like the um, light heavyweight Khabib. Here's what I want to say about Davis, what was interesting. Like, you know, he's people are like, he's underrated, and he is. He's like one of my top five mat wrestlers. Go listen to me and Ryan Wagner. Um, wax on him um, on the probably the last top five episode I've done. I got to get get back on that. Apologies, folks, but I, I'm definitely high on Davis. It's just you know the, the, he, the fact that he insulated himself with that range striking game, which he's improved his boxing, but still, you wonder what it would be like if he like applied himself like a Khabib because he's got that athleticism where he doesn't really tire, right? Um, and then speaking of Khabib. You're like, wait, the guy trains in California. Like, go back in time. The most interesting part about this, and I'll move on because no sense really getting too much into this card or the matchup. But, like, just, you know, dig, folks, dig for a second. What if Phil Davis ended up, instead of going to Alliance in San Diego, went up to NorCal and ended up at AKA with that pressure style? What does his career look like? I'll probably tweet this to probably get more interactive responses, but feel free to hit me up at Dan Tom MMA. You follow the podcast at the PYM podcast on all social platforms. UFC 246 headlined the next night, Bellator in their uh, two pack of fights. Um, arguably, it's the fight of the weekend. Patchy Mix um, opened as a favorite, slight favorite, now bet up to a minus 170 favorite. Um, and Juan Archuleta, the comeback is underdog, plus 150. I ended up taking Patchy Mix second round submission. Um, it's just weird because it's like Archuleta's the more experienced guy. Um, if Patchy Mix, for whatever reasons, decides to start striking, uh, if he gets too tall, he can get knocked out, or he dips too blindly even for the takedowns, maybe he gets knocked out with something. But like outside of that, um, I feel like he can get the kind of fight he wants. Archuleta. You know, I'd be curious if he would take the Justin Gaethje approach or what Justin Gaethje claiming his approach is going to be against Habib um, as far as meeting pressure with pressure. Obviously different styles, but I do write my breakdown, which just dropped on MMAJunkie.com. Uh, I do call Mix's style Habib Nurmagomedov like in the sense that he pressures forward, grapples, and takes what he can get. I mean, you know, in a very simplistic form. Spirit. He has the same spirit, not style, right? Um... So does he match it? The problem is we haven't seen, outside of maybe Dantes, who I believe is like a judo and, and jiu-jitsu black belt or some amalgamation. Obviously trains with really good jiu-jitsu cats, but not really doesn't really make his money there. I think he's only got like six submissions, Dantes does, in 30 fights, 30-plus uh, fights. So, you know, like he, that's the clo- maybe the closest, unless it's like one of these regional guys on King of the Cage who didn't – you know, wasn't much then, didn't amount to much after, no offense. Like, <clears throat> he he hasn't really faced this. So as much as holes that are missing in Patchy Mix's sample size, which we'll talk about in a second, it's not like Archuleta for this Styles match carries some giant well of sample size we can draw from and that we know that he's he's got as far as the defensive wrestling. Like he's got defensive wrestling, he's got good scrambling, but do you want to be scrambling with a guy like Patchy Mix? And Archuleta's style, even though he was like a honey badger, using his wrestling more, pressure striking more, um, like most wrestlers in MMA, they parlay into more of a pressure style, right? Regardless of how much they want to strike on the feet or not, in Mix's case, it's pressure is the common thread. 
Uh, whereas Archuleta, as technically better as he's been getting under the trading lab, and Dwayne Ludwig and all those guys, we've seen him also play on the outside more, play more conservative. And defensively minded isn't bad in spirit against a guy who's super offensively minded, and you're going to have to answer those questions at some point, right? However, if you're backing yourself up to the cage, aren't you kind of doing half the battle for Mix? Because Mix is a long southpaw, and he does the common, you know, southpaw calling card from check hooks to power strikes from his, you know, left side and kicks and crosses, both forms. But ultimately, even with the window dressing he's added since moving to Jackson Link MMA of the, in quotes, oblique kick and all these more poking, prodding straight shots, He's still doing the same thing. He's ultimately using his footwork and pressure. Uh, and that, of course, the long southpaw frame to corral his opponents to the cage. And that's where he gets his reactionary shots against the cage shots, etc., so on and so forth, and chains. So, um, you know, is, is Archuleta going to be doing half the battle? And regardless of Archuleta's styles, I believe it, I arguably think that his style is still strongly tethered to his ability to wrestle or even in his more less wrestling and more conservative uh, fights as of late, still tethered to at least having the threat of offensive wrestling. And anything that leads to a scrambling scenario with Patchy Mix seems uber dangerous. Uh, I, I, I'm sure he's got a good radar for front choke threats. Archuleta does, being that you know he has all those years under Joe Stevenson at the guillotine master there. But... You guys also know that, you know, front chokes or front uh, headlocks can also lead to back takes, which is Patchy Mix's first priority. So um, I feel like because of that, Patchy Mix will have his opportunities and find a submission by the second hound. Uh, and yeah, not much to say. I'm curious on Diggs Compost. I wanted to go with Hawaii and be, be contrarian, but I ended up going with Compost. Maybe it was the hive mentality of staff picks when you have everybody picking the same way and they're all laid out in front of you. That definitely does happen, which is another reason why I always tell people to don't get mad at the junkie staff when you see us all one way. It doesn't mean that the fight's a blowout. It just, the fight could be a lot closer than what it seems. And also, too, there's there's a lot of subconscious hive mentality, right? Those, uh, what was those college things where, the, uh, where they did the conformity test where it was like, uh, you know, they would do something like, 45 actors and five real people and they'd have like three sizes of sticks that one was clearly you know small one was clearly medium and one was clearly large and they told you to point to the medium one and all the actors pointed to the small one and uh think like nine times out of ten four out of five four point nine out of five or something stupid the real people would would follow even though they knew it was the wrong answer they didn't want to stand out so they they point to the small one uh, and follow suit. So, so this is picking biases, right? This is, this is a betting podcast. We can talk about those things. There's correlation there. Anyways, let's get the time because we are moving on. 18, 19 minutes, eh, longer than I thought, to uh, UFC on ESPN plus 35. Do not reopen. Yeah, all right, you're reopening. Um, Got odds pulled up here. Going to go from the top. We got Angela Hill, minus 120. Michelle Waterson, plus 100. Um, Taking Angela Hill here, but just like I outlined on my line movement betting article, the value is on uh, Waterson. Um, And again, talking about betting and contrarian and these things and that, um, perhaps different than the example I thought, but again, these psychological intangibles and outside intangibles of the fights can play into a factor here now. You guys know I've never been the biggest Waterson fan, so 
um, and especially for you know as far as representation for uh, Asians Americans which I'm not going to get into don't worry but but yeah let's just say I'm, I'm not surprised uh, to find out that she's a Trumper um, which is kind of funny like listening to her in an interview saying that you know like throwing in like oh, what I do Trump is going to Trump Angela and like I don't know if she was doing that on purpose but uh, very clever um, nevertheless uh, I would probably lean toward Angela Hill anyways because Girls with volume, length, and right hands, I think, were problems, which is why I picked Casey. And I'm not crying robbery. Believe me, that's a close fight. But I still feel like she had a much more argument if we're talking about damage. Uh, so I probably would have already picked Angela Hill uh, anyways. But in no way am I going to pretend this is not a close fight. And the line is this close for a reason. And even though i don't not surprised to see Angela Hill is the favorite, you could argue, and you know that, that Waterson, you know, uh, maybe should be, albeit slightly as well, the favorite here. Um, you could make that argument based on experience, strength of schedule, and style. You know, say what you will about the karate hottie stylings. Um, you know, I've been again, man. You, you think you think Dan Tom would be all about Waterson? You know, the karate styles, Asian American. Like, there's all these common threads, but same time dan tom's also very honest and will call things for what they are or at least for what i see them and be and yeah so it's no nothing new for her striking to be you know quote unquote overrated uh but what people underrate more importantly is waterson's improved wrestling from the clinch not just a head and arm throw she's improving on her wrestling and body lock tripped takedowns uh and control you know uh really embracing the Point scoring, round winning, uh, fulfilling that prophecy of the Jackson Wink prototype, you know, uh, round winners, right? And um, she does all that stuff. Uh, and that's what worries me here. Angela Hill's come a long way since she's been uber susceptible to that, but she wasn't submitted too long ago by Random Marcos. And even fighters like, you know, who I like, but still like Loma Lokbong Me, uh, were able to get trips and stuff on Hill. Uh, granted, she wasn't able to do much with them. It was able to get up and win the fight. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, you have to look at those things. And the reason why I brought up the politics and the outside the cage stuff to start with was uh, from betting angles because, hey, man, even though uh, I'm rooting for Angie, I'm picking Angie, doesn't mean I don't see value. I can't give credit where credit's due. And a lot of times we saw it with Colby Covington. That's why Colby Covington was always a great vet because even at chalk odds, you were you were getting him at a discounted rate because the fact that he associates with MAGA and Trump, right? So, and yeah, I don't like that stuff, obviously, but listen to the bigger point here. Um, you know, let's separate our emotions for a second, folks, and realize that like, okay, yeah, whether I'm for this fighter to win uh, stylistically or not, it's hard not to recognize that the line is not an honest line we're getting because of perhaps factors that really have nothing to do with the fight. So whenever that happens, as a better, you sh I'm not saying you put your bank account, do this, do that, put your money here, put your money there. But as a better, you have to always at least consider, consider uh, playing against that public trend. You know, I think even like speaking of betting and politics, I think what... I forget, like, I think even, like, uh, 
Trump or something closed at like dog money or something getting offers or something. So people like ca- cash like big bets, and I'm like Jesus Christ. Um, but like the point is, it, it, you know, fading the public uh, has more of a reason than just betting slang. Um, I didn't play Waterson. Uh, I actually played Hill. I sprinkled water <laughs> rounds three, four, and then Hill by decision. Uh, and you know, um, but um, just for, just for fun, really small stuff there, folks. Because the value, honestly, is on Waterson, and I got to be honest and upfront about that. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I'm, I'm going to go with Angela Hill for a striking volume, but but this will this will be interesting. It's close for a reason, folks. Uh, rooting for Angie, picking Angie. Um, comma Worthy, who opened as a dog, got bet up uh, to minus one twenty-five versus Ottman. Uh, Azatar, uh, who him and his brother Abu run shop in the Middle East. Those guys, uh, scary guys. They'll run the gas on you if you don't. Uh, but anyways, I'm not gonna go go too deep into that. If this fight was in the UAE, though, for that reason, uh, if we were Fight Island anywhere in the the Emirates, uh, I'm going Azatar all day. However, I'm gonna pick Worthy. Um, I know he's been knocked out five or six times, but those were early in his career, earlier at featherweight a weight class in which he should not have been cutting to. And I believe he's got much better durability. I believe he's proven that. I believe he's the much more skilled fighter, definitely the much more experienced fighter over Azatar, who has only fought cans, um, barely been out of the first round. He's only been out of the first round twice, only been to the third round once, and uh, finished a fight in the third round against a guy who was only 3-0 and at the time. So I don't know how much that really tells you, uh, whereas Worthy... Can submit with a guillotine, although I don't know how much Ottman's going to go for a double leg to dissuade pressure like his brother Abu, because Ottman, not only does he have not as strong a schedule, even as his brother Abu, um, doesn't have uh, any wrestling or other martial art creds. He's just been doing this since 2012 or 2014. Or 2014, I think, I even even on his profile. So it's like, you know, guys have been fighting for six years. Like, uh, come on, Worthy already got like, knocked out four times by then. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, I'm going to take comma worthy here. Um, it does become dangerous if the line goes up to, to, to bet worthy. But the point of entry for each is is playable if you're a believer in either. But I'm going to pick worthy. Not a believer in Azatar yet. Despite his seizure-inducing knockout over Timu Pakalan. Uh, Andrea KGB Lee. <laughs> oh, she sure looks cute when she wears her leather boots. But now she wants to put them through your skull. Sorry, that was a sloppy second song. Janie is a Nazi. Uh, Roxanne on a ferry. Plus 260. Sorry, the hardcore punk in me. I just I, I can't help but think of that song. Andrea Lee. Where's Donnie? Uh, Jesus, Dan. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. I'm sorry. Roxanne on a ferry. Plus 260. Not going to get into it, but I did call that, by the way. The... Uh, whole uh, thing I reference. I did I did randomly call that before it happened. And, and I have proof. Which is really random but funny. Uh, I, I did pick Andrea Lee here, KGB. I know she lost the first fight, which she took on short notice six years ago in Invicta FC back in 2014. <clears throat> um, but I think she takes a decision. It's going to be a competitive and close one. Much closer than the odds suggest, which is why, even though, spoiler alert, I really don't like a lot of plus money, much less dogs that are sides on this card. Um, Roxanne Modafferi made the live dog section of my betting article this week over at Line Movement um, at plus 265. And I guess people are seeing it slowly getting bet down to plus 260, 
was kind of thinking slash hoping it would go the other way. We'll probably degenerate sprinkle, even though, again, I officially picked the other way. Betting, picking, two different things. But Modafferi, um, best shape of her life. Uh, striking only getting better, uh, stronger. Um, and uh, Andrea Lee, like I was saying on the Lamu MMA betting show, and I referenced her fight in Abu Dhabi, but I went back to her last fight and even other fights, and it's always kind of been there. She has a really bad body language, man. She makes herself look tired, whether she is or isn't. She makes herself look hurt, whether she is or isn't, especially with this habit of dropping her mouthpiece all the time. Um, and that's probably why these fights are so close. Uh, and she's probably and she's losing. Um, that's really bad. And now you're going to be in the small cage and you have the propensity because she's like a wind-up doll. You know, she's just going to go and strike her, her kind of rope combinations. She's going to go for takedowns and roll through and float position. If something's there, she'll take it. But if not, she'll roll off the back and a scramble and zoo. And she's back up to her feet and she's galloping again. And she's looking to kick and enter and gallop, gallop, gallop. Uh, and it's just this kind of rote horse. It's like a Holly Holm with more grappling, right? Um and the problem is she doesn't do it to the extent of like a Tim Elliott where she grapples herself into a submission, but she does grab her, grapple herself into arguable position, null, and pacing holes, um, which is problematic and doesn't, and doesn't help when you, uh, if, if, if it initiates what is objectively bad body language. Again, body language is a big thing on winning fights. We've seen it all the time, folks. You know, not just talking about the typical one fighter looking dejected and the other fighter putting their hands up, which is super important um but in other senses of judging throughout the round um you know uh you know jacare kelvin gastelum or um angela hill versus uh claudia gadelia both yielded different results i believe for the for the brazilian with bad body language who tends to gas but what was it you know they were landing the harder quality shots outside of course Gadelli getting dropped in round two um they're landing the harder more quality shots uh but it was that body language that gave it off right now it didn't cost Gadelli in the scorecards the judges were actually quite favorable to her but and I'm not crying over spilt milk by the way I'm not I'm not somebody who's super hard up on that decision either way by the, for what it's worth but the point is um the reason why a lot of people probably were was because Gadelli gave off that bad body language so body language affects everybody folks perception um and i don't like that from andrea lee so from the stylistic standpoint of and small cage of causing her to have grappling exchanges with roxy to yeah her body language um roxy's a live dog here but i picked lee not as lively a dog as i would like to lead, lead him to believe but i'll be rooting for ed herman at plus 205 even though i officially picked mike rodriguez minus 245 um it's funny, slow Mike Rodriguez is about to meet the king of slow. But then I, I stopped and realized, wait, if he's the king of slow, I mean, he's probably going to lose his fight. Um, and uh, I, I'm not going to try to beat the slow narrative to death, which is like everybody in their mother's analysis of Ed Herman, as I've stated on this show before. But they're right. <laughs> he is very slow. But Ed Herman has never really been very fast, although I did go back to watch some old Ed Herman fights, and I'm like, he like changed levels for a takedown, and I'm like, yeah, you don't see him do that that much that often. <laughs> And the reason why I was going so back as well to go to Ed Herman fights, because again, as I mentioned on this program, possibly, uh, unless the fight was canceled by then, who knows? Uh, when he went to fight Gerald Mearshart, as, as experienced as Ed Herman is, and of course he'll be the more experienced man here, 
really hasn't faced a lot of southpaws. And when he did, he suffered his su- suffered bad losses. Now, he's 1-2, and two, but that one win comes against a guy named Chris Price. I know, not the most memorable name. You had to go back to 2006 or 2007 to find that name and win. Whereas the other ones, granted, this was a grappling loss to Damian Maya, yes, and as well as a more relevant knockout loss to Derek Brunson, um, which I believe sent him up to light heavyweight. So he's got another southpaw here and a fully-fledged one. Um, Mike Rodriguez kind of tends to fall apart as fights go on, uh, which is the big worry here. So that's why Ed Herman is more of a live betting opportunity. That being said, uh, what kind of sold me in the Mike Rodriguez fight was is just one main thing is because he's going to have the advantage of distance and um, unless he falls apart and you know and it gets more tired, I don't see him uh, getting taken down or much less controlled. I don't see him getting controlled or submitted in the first round. Second round, all bets are off. Um, but in the first round, I think that's that's Rodriguez's round, especially, if, obviously, if you can get the finish, which is the prediction from me and most here. Um, objective prediction, although, again, rooting for Herman. All hearts always with a guy like Herman. But um, Herman's strengths in the clinch, you know. He's, he's a knee guy, and... and I'm a big Herman fan. He's made me money. I picked Herman and been on the right side of him. Not only that, his last two TKOs were both by knees. And Dan Tom, if you remember, called them both. One I called live because Tim Bosch kept ducking. And the other, because of that Tim Bosch knockout, it was in my head and called for it off the top before the fight happened. So in no way do I disrespect or don't read uh, what Herman can do. So I went and looked at the, the clinch and even just the little things in the clinch that Mike Rodriguez did. Um, in his last fight, I know Prakniel sucks, but you got to take that away and look at what the fighter you're examining is doing. What are the choices he's making? And man, I just really like the choices he makes in that tie clinch. And um, I was like, yep, that was going to be Herman's best shot. And um, Rodriguez makes his money there. And uh, yeah, so picks Rodriguez, uh, hearts with Herman. Uh, careful if you bet Herman. Uh, again, he's probably more of a live betting opportunity if he survives that first round. But uh, picking Rodriguez round one. Uh, Bobby Green, now minus 260 against Alan Patrick, plus 220. This line makes no sense to me. You know, we're seeing all these other lines balloon up. Um, you know, whether it's like, you know, these no-name fighters uh, who are making their debut, even if I was high, and I'm like, you know, Romanov or like even like Julia Vila, who we'll get to, and I like Julia, and I think she's going to win and roll there. Don't get me wrong. But like you see these lines higher. I'm like, dude, the highest line on the card should be Bobby Green versus Alan Patrick. Alan Patrick is, 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 a, is, is a fraudster, McFrodderson, man. I mean, you know, like he did every trick in the book, backflips at the weigh-ins, different color bear braids, taking the Instagram photos with the Coast guy for arms at the Gen XL gym that may or may not have, you know, been supplying Jocker and Anderson with their vitamins. Uh, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Jacare. Like, he's really, he is riding the street cat of street cred, you know, caving in that era in the Brazilian expansion where, you know, the, the TNT was on the mats and maybe a lot of the local fighters may or may not have had freaking veins popping out of their shoulders. You know, this is the era... Alan Patrick snuck into, folks. And Bobby Green, what do I all say about Bobby Green? Aside from the fact that Bobby Green's going to make you some money during this pandemic era, and he went ahead and proved me right, not once, uh, but twice thus far. Uh, but Bobby Green always gets overlooked for his his gamesman, his verbal gamesmanship, 
And the fact that he's got a really slick counterboxing style, which to the ignorant eyes, which sadly are many, and even sadder, common amongst judges, don't get graded as highly. And, but in the pandemic era, with no crowd, you don't got the crowd censoring out, you know, and, and being biased to the guy who's swinging heavy and missing at air, you know, hence how Diego Sanchez got a lot of his decision wins between 2010 and 2014. Uh, you don't have that factor in there. And, and regardless of what you think about the verbal gamesmanship, you can't deny who's landing the shots when you can hear them clear. Uh, whereas Alan Patrick, when he does his wacky tube inflatable arm man impression, he's not really doing anything. It's just window dressing. He'll throw some cool kicks. He'll do some things and explosions and get by on his athleticism and sigh. And he really sells like he's going to do something, but he really doesn't unless it's a takedown. And for a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt under Jacare, you figure that not only would he be getting more submissions, um, he'd be getting better control, but he doesn't, which is why he gets the takedowns, which is why... He only sticks around because he only beats lower-level guys who are missing that point in their style, who have that glaring hole. Those are the guys he beats. Maybe he'll score high on a DraftKings here or there because of that. Either way, he is riding some false and inflated clout. Um, this line, in my opinion, should have been opened in the neighborhood of the minus 300s and should have been bet into the neighborhood of the minus 400s. And I don't believe that's hyperbole. Um, and I don't feather my nest because I'm not that kind of person. Uh, I'm not, 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 not getting set up for victory laps or anything like that. Um, <clears throat> but, but I am, yes, I'm very fair. You can accuse me of being conservative, too kind at times. All these things, that's fine. But seldom am I very confident like this. And I'm sorry, folks, but I'm very confident like this. And any of my big chalk betters out there, my, my big betters that hit me up, I told them the same. Uh, I, I don't blame you for playing Bobby Green. I, I went big on him from, at least for Dan Tom, I went big. Um straight up, and uh, I parlayed him with uh, someone on this card coming up quickly. Um, because Alan Patrick um, is not going to be able to get those takedowns against Bobby Green. Something else everyone always forgets about Bobby Green. The guy comes from a wrestling base. The guy has seldom been controlled against the cage or on the floor, even by guys like Clay Guido, who play spoilers like all the time, and he can't. I I don't know. I don't see it. 37 years old, Alan Patrick, two-year layoff. You're going to come back in the pandemic era? Fade, load up the train, and I'll see you guys on the other side. Next fight, Billy Quarant, Billy Quarantine, Billy Q, Billy Q, Billy Quarantio, minus two sixty, Kyle Nelson plus two twenty. The monster, Kyle the monster Nelson, dude, he's Canadian, Dan. He's not from Boston. Well, still, yeah, he's a monster. That's his name. Is the, it's not the Green Monster, Dan. Well, anyways, um. I really like Nelson in the interview I heard uh, with Aaron Bronstetter on the TSN MMA show. And I like that Nelson was in shape before this fight booking. Like, he was already calling for fights and, uh, you know, down in weight, which is good because he's a big 145 and cardio has been his culprit. And what is one thing that hypothetically you can work on in this quarantine environment uh, is cardio. So, man, you know, perhaps Nelson, you could make the argument that he is livelier than the 220. And I don't hate that. That being said, improvements so that you can make in the quarantine are null and void when you're facing Billy Quarantine. That's right, baby. I, I, you, I, I, who was the first? You know, I, I knew he had the COVID before he got the COVID back in the day because uh, who was cool annoyed with him as Billy Quarantine? That's right. Billy Quarantine thrives in this environment. COVID, no COVID. 
co-pilot in a car. Billy Quarantine's got you covered. Really like his style, but I feel like this is very similar to the Spike Carlisle matchup. Where in the sense of you got a real potent guy from top position and on the feet, and Kyle Nelson in the clinch even. Uh, but he traditionally fades, and Billy Quarantine is a slow burner. You know, Billy Quarantine, he's got he's like, he's like Byron Barbarina, who we'll get to. Um, but he's got uh, more finishing potential, I dare say. No offense, Brian Barbs. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really like Billy Quarantine's style outside of, like, a perfectly placed shot, which is what put him away against another big featherweight back in the day. Uh, it was another Michel, wasn't it? Uh, something. He washed out of the UFC. I think he fought Sage Northcutt. But, yeah, like, outside of another perfect one, like, I feel like he, he should win this fight outright. Um, so he was one of the chalks that I was okay with that was heavy. So I think it was only like minus 106 or something, probably in the two minus 250s or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's just kind of the card it is. I went big I went big for that one for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, so we'll see. Really, really uh, depending on Bobby Green there. Uh, next fight, Julia Vila, minus 290. Comeback on Sarge Jara Eubanks, plus 245. Yeah, Sarge was originally supposed to face someone. She was a live dog, somewhat of a live dog, even though I picked the other side, I think. I don't know. I can't even remember. Now she's rebooked. Uh, Avila made weight, um, so that's a good sign. Um, she's got the attitude intangibles as well as the stylistic intangibles to take it to Sarge, uh, make it a fight. And, uh, yeah, as long as her chin continues to hold up, which Avila looks like she's durable. Um, and, you know, I think her pressure is going to win the day. She's going to be able to close on the feet with the clench. Um, uh, probably by decision because, you know, Sarge is a black belt herself. I don't think she's going to wash her out unless she's able to hurt her or one's able to hurt the other. In fact, unless either is able to hurt the other, it should just go to the decision where Avila's more consistent, effective pressure should win the day. Alexander Romanov. Uh, minus 365. Excuse me. Rogue Martinez. Excuse me. Plus 305. Um, Didn't look too much in a Rogue, what he did over at Risen. Uh, if you want an up-to-date interview, though, shout-out to my man, John Hyunko, who got a well-deserved shout on the UFC broadcast last weekend. Does fantastic interviews. My Asian brother from another mother. K-Town in the house. Uh, go check out his YouTube channel uh, for that interview. Uh, I picked Romanoff here. Uh, line's probably wide for a reason. Again, I, I don't know why I like Romanoff last week. Don't judge a book by his cover. Dude can scrap. Uh, next fight, Stare Down City. It was a fun little stare down Jylan Turner had, who is getting a really respectable line. It's going to keep me away. Minus 325 versus Brock Weaver, plus 265. Uh, Brock Weaver, like it's going to be his path in most fights, his last, as well as his originally book fight. Still, his best bet is to make it ugly. But, however... Like his last fight, I'm still going to side with the favorite there. Um, it'll be interesting if it's going to be Southpaw versus Southpaw because Turner could fight from both stances. Um, he might be one of those dudes who like prefers the open stance match, like uh, Machida or Jones, if you look at how they will switch their stances. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, Turner is also underrated on the ground like Weaver. They're both Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belts. So I don't know if either submits the other without rocking someone first. Um, so it's going to be a scrap probably closer than the line indicates, which will keep me away, but I, I do think Turner should be a well-deserved favorite. Probably more like a minus 250 range, though. 
Um, Brian Barberina is in the minus 250 range, minus 255. Money's coming in a little bit there on Anthony Ivy, plus 215. Uh, Ivy didn't really get too much of a chance to show himself against uh, Christian Aguilera. Um, but I think that Brian Barberina does to Ivy what people thought he was going to do to Randy Brown, but Randy Brown obviously always making improvements better than people give him credit for. Uh, and Barberina, not to take anything away from Brown, was suffering through a back injury. And that's the big thing here. Huge back injuries, huge layoffs, and a big weight gain. He started the camp at almost 230 pounds. I mean, Brian Barberina, I mean, just anybody for that matter, trying to tell Anthony Johnson to hold my beer in regards to a welterweight cut, that, that's got flags all over it, plus the other flags that were already attached. And you guys know I'm a big Brian Barberina fan. You have to search far and wide for people picking him against Sage Northcutt or Warley Alves, and your boy picked and played him both. So you know I love me some Brian Barberina. I'll be picking him here, but he's not a parlay piece even for this price because um, just of the flags attached. So good luck however you do it, whether you're taking a flyer on the dog or you're just going to go Chalk City anyways because – this card, at least from my perspective, is asking for it. Good luck to you. Um, I avoided it, though. I avoided it. I avoided it as well as the next and last fight. Only a two-fight avoid list for me because I didn't do, uh, you know, uh, research for this fight. I got a soft spot uh, for this next fight for different reasons. We got Sabina Matzo, minus 235, and Justine Quiche, Merrick, plus 195. <laughs> Of course, you know, I love Sabina because, uh, you know, Colombian girls are my kryptonite. Easy, Dan. Stay on target. Stay on target. Oh, Sabina. By the way, shout out to my man, John John Rico, who uh, trains with uh, Sabina and could not um, could not make this card due to weight issues. Oh, wait. It was it was Matt Chanel that couldn't make this card due to inside joke. John John Rico shouts to my brother. He looks just like Matt Chanel. That's his doppelganger. And, uh, yeah, bummed because Ty that means Tyson Nam couldn't fight either. And I had Nam there. Um, yeah, anyways, wanted to shout that out. And then, you know, Justin Keish, man. I mean, um, I did the Merrick there because it, it was funny. Uh, back in the day, early episodes of the Pacheco Day podcast because she's fought kind of sparsely in between. Like, you know, and by the way, I think she's awesome, great personality, well-spoken, love her story. Uh, attractive uh, inside and out, or personality attractive on the outside. Not not trying to say anything bad, but uh, you know, maybe without the makeup fighting, she has the mean look on her face. She's a potential to bleed, and uh, I may or may not have pulled the picture of Justine Keish. It looks an awful lot like Reagan from The Exorcist, <laughs> possessed version. <laughs> Merrick. Sorry to creep you guys out. That's of course my voice allows me to do like still do like creepy possessed Reagan or diving around there. Like, like like those ones. Like those ones are well intact. But all the ones like highs like I couldn't do the mom champ. Yeah, I couldn't do that one for Michelle. Like my highs are completely gone. But um, uh, creepy and weird and inappropriate. Um, comparison aside, it ended up being apropos because in that fight, I think she fought um, Felice Herrig. And it was just kind of ironic that, uh, let's just say that I was referencing the exorcist scene in Reagan and her, you know, uh, uh, not controlling fluids. All right, Dan, let's move on. Let's keep this. Let's keep, let's keep it. Let's keep this clean. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 
oh, why are you citing things that aren't even relevant to the breakdown? I don't know. These are the things that come to my, I'm like, oh, hot Colombian girl and poop. This is, this is my uh, associations. Jesus, Dan, you are digging yourself a hole. You just said you like these girls and I respect, I do. I'm, just, I'm sorry. I... <laughs> Boy, this, you see why this is on the avoid list, folks? You see why this breakdown, <laughs> you see where this is going? Um, I guess I'll take Sabina. <laughs> Christ, I guess I'll take Savina Matzo here uh, and her uh, shown improvements on the ground. But Justin Keish being able to make things ugly, I feel like she's a live dog. So I feel like that's dog or pass. Or you should probably just stay away and wish for the girls to be the best. And instead of betting this fight, um, I wish they had tip a fighter mandatory because I feel like I owe both these girls a tip for um, subjugating them to such shitty analysis on this show but that's what you guys tune in for actually Dan, that's not why we tune all right well you know what i'm saying i still appreciate you guys tuning in so on that note let's recap from top to bottom taking angela hill over michelle waterson taking comma worthy over Atman azatar taking andrea lee over roxy modafferi taking mike rodriguez over ed herman taking bobby king green over alan patrick Taking Billy Quarantine over Kyle Monster Nelson. Taking Julia Vila over Jara Eubanks. Taking Alexander Romanoff over Rogue Martinez. Taking Mr. Turner. Turner over Brock Weaver. Taking Brian Bam Bam Barbarina over Anthony Ivey. And <laughs> taking Sabina Mazzo over Justine Marrakeesh. Um... Parlay and green and the green and quarantine parlay. Let me know if you join me there, and if it fails, don't blame me. I'm sorry, but taking the green and quarantine parlay minus 106. Uh, no uh, straight plays sprinkled on some um, Angela Hill props. Uh, rounds three, four, and by decision. Uh, avoid Matzo Quiche. Also avoid listening to my breakdown of that fight. Avoid Barbarina and Ivy. And uh, thank you. Thank you for using the Amazon click-throughs and the Onyx click-throughs over at MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. And those of you even kind enough to hit me with the PayPal donations for keeping this show free for years and years rolling. And that's how I plan to keep it. Thanks for subscribing and checking it out on YouTube, liking the video, subscribing, Daniel, Tom, and May, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Protecting Egg Podcast, which you can find and subscribe to. Won't flood your feeds on all social media platforms at the PYM Podcast. As well as me at Dan Tom MMA. And until next week, good luck with your picks and plays, and always protect your neck. <laughs>